I thought, you know, I'm a little draggy today. I'm a little, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's the snow. Maybe it's the cold. Maybe it's the age. I don't know what it is. But here we are. But I'm always glad to be here. I'm always glad to be here with you. And, uh, you know, our philosophy here is uh, if you're in this place, in this moment, because God brought you here, he has a purpose, something for you, not uh, anything that I necessarily need to know about or can know about. But I hope that you'll approach this time like that because maybe there's a word in here for you out of the scripture, maybe something in what we've sung today, maybe in the attitude of the prayer. I don't know. Our goal, our hope, our desire is that as we gather together, though we know that God is with us at all times, that he can manifest himself in a specific way when believers gather together and lift their voices and join their hearts together in purpose. So I encourage you in that this morning and pray that the Lord will meet you here in this place as he desires. I want you to go with me today to the book of Isaiah. And we're closing out the final chapter of this series that we've been in, God at Work. And I don't have exactly the right road sign today. You know what that means. That means like split split highway, right? Like I, I didn't have a new traffic pattern sign, so that's my stand-in for a new traffic pattern, because it tells you that whatever you've been doing for the last 30 seconds is going to be different very shortly, right? So, uh, that's kind of where we want to, to bring this series to a close, God at Work. We've talked about um, difficult times, rough road ahead, just because God's leading in something, just because God's planning something doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Uh, sometimes God's will, God's design, whether it's for us as individuals or for us as a church, the path that he sets before us isn't necessarily going to be easy, even if we're solidly within his will, right? And I can remember uh, a time shortly after uh, Karen and I, and at that time Stephen, because Christopher wasn't born yet, had left the previous church that we were at, really had no idea where we were going, what we were going to do, um, didn't know what God was trying to do. It, at the time, it just looked like a giant mess. It was hard. It was difficult. And then uh, we joined with what was then Anchorage Quality Life Center, which is, by the way, the worst church name on the planet. Uh, right? Are you with me, Diana? Diana was there with us. Vicki was there with us. Yep. Uh, lots of these folks were there in those beginning days. They were there before we got there, so I blame you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, some wonderful people as part of that community, and they were so healing to us and so welcoming to us because really when I left my previous position, I was pretty well determined that I was done with ministry uh, and potentially done with Christians because they were just bad people in my mind. And God really used the wonderful folks of AQLC to, to do a lot of healing in us, and, and some of us now have been in ministry together now. It's been like 25 years, folks. Can you believe that? God is gracious, and God is good. But part of that was then we came to the time where we began to have interaction with the folks who, who inhabited this building at the time called South Anchorage Baptist Church, which Don and Marilyn are not here this morning, but Don and Marilyn Rabb, Don's one of our elders. Marilyn, we know we've been praying for them. They, I think, are the only two still with us from that church 20 years ago when we founded Christ Community Church. A lot of folks, you know how it is, Alaska, man. 
people come and go in and out. It's hard, right? So uh, Don and Marilyn are still with us after all this time, and they've been such a blessing, and they were part of that. But, but we were beginning to have conversations between our church and the church that was in residence here. We didn't have a location. We were in a, what we called at that time the dungeon at the corner of New Seward and Tudor uh, in the building next to what is the Travel Academy Career Academy that's right there. We were in the basement of that building, and it was pretty much a dungeon. There was one door in, no windows anywhere, and uh, God did some great things there. He worked through that. It wasn't easy, but he worked through there. But I remember distinctly, and Jason probably remembers this as well, there were a collection of us as leaders from the two churches who would gather, have conversations about how, how does this work? How do, we, how do we bring two bodies together? How do we make something new out of this? Is it, is it a takeover or is, a, is it a new thing? What does it look like? And I remember sitting around a, a table at what was then Cafe Vivace. It's now, I think, Cafe Darte or something up here on Diamond. And we've been going there every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning. I don't remember which day of the week it was then. And meeting. And it was very exciting because we were planning. We were in that planning stage where you're throwing ideas on the table and, and dreaming about what could be and, and feeling kind of just that, that energy of and synergy of communication and cooperation and finding God's vision and heartbeat. And sitting at that table as we began to talk about how we might structure things in the early days, one of the guys that was sitting there with us said, you know, I can just tell if we do everything right, this thing's going to be great. And this red flag in my head went, Not, and he wasn't, I, I didn't cast, cast any blame at him. I just knew that I had come to a place because of where I had just come from. That at the end of the day, friends, Sometimes being in the center of the will of God is a very difficult place to be. I had walked away from that previous position, which looked by all accounts like it should have been maybe even my lifetime place. And I walked away to nothing. We had just bought a house. We had just bought a baby. Because we had a she had a C-section and we had no insurance. <laughs> you know, you know how it is. It's life. You have car payments. You know, got to keep the lights on at the house. No idea where we were going to go. And then God had begun to do this incredible work through these wonderful, beautiful people. And then he was bringing this other thing about it. And I remember just, just saying, hey, guys, listen, I need you to know that this is really fun. And we could do everything exactly right and it still be a complete train wreck. Because God is sovereign and God does what he does. I said, I just think it had to get to the place where my, my primary pursuit in ministry for sure is to be in the place where God wants me to be. And if everything around me burns to the ground and all I'm left with is Jesus, I have to know that I can be content with that. And so, as we as a church continue to push towards our future, and we think about um, the series that we did about how we pray for one another, how we engage with our community, how we talked last week about living as instruments of God in our community when we thought about 
that just because we're going in God's direction doesn't mean it's going to be easy or it won't be hard work or that we won't face obstacles. I want you to, to think of that mindset in your own life, not just in relationship to this body of believers, but just in your own life, that is there anything that currently is or is in danger of, of unseating the prominence of devotion and commitment to God above all other things. And it's, it's kind of a hard thing to say, but I say it to myself as well, which is anytime I find something that, that is competing more for my attention than at the, at the beginning being committed and devoted to God, not to the church, not to me, not to a program, none of that stuff. I mean, to the, to the God who is present in your daily life, then whatever it is that threatens that or comes and, and tries to displace that, friends, that's, that's some sort of a false idol because anything that takes prominence over God in our life is something that we're worshiping in his presence. We're taking time away from the devotion that we would give to him and putting it towards something else. Now, don't misunderstand me. I've said that a lot in the last eight weeks, by the way, as we've gone through these two series, because I want to be clear. Don't misunderstand me. Uh, for instance, uh, ooh, rabbit trail, but I'm going to take it. Uh, somebody sh shared with me some scripture this week and something I didn't notice. Uh, this, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, maybe. I, I don't know. I'll put it in the newsletter and send it out. But Paul, talking about he and the disciples, including Peter, he calls him Cephas, which means the rock, and it was only used in Scripture to refer, refer to Peter. He talks about how these guys are out traveling with them, going to place, to place, to place, and Paul and another guy have a distinction that they're the only ones who don't have their wives and families with them. And, and I'm like, what? But it's, Paul says, are, are we the only ones who aren't allowed to have our wives with us as Cephas and the others do? And that was a concept that, guys, I'm 55 years old. I grew up in the church. I was the youth group president. Woohoo! Somehow in my brain, I did not think about in the time that when Jesus called those disciples and said, come follow me, there's kind of this idea that, they just threw everything down and abandoned everything and walked around with Jesus. But that tells me that Jesus did not call them to abandon their family. He didn't call them to abandon their obligations, their responsibilities of being a good human, a good person in their community. So don't misunderstand me when I say uh, that you, you've got to be invested and really pour into this devotion to God. That means that you, you somehow kick free of things that are actually goodly and righteous and, and things that God would have you pay attention to. Because in doing those things and being a good mom and being a good dad and being a good grandparent as a good child, you are doing the work of God. That is worship to God, to be faithful in the things that he's given you. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying about that uh, devotion to God. But you know as well as I do, sometimes there are things that come creep around the edges that really don't have anything to do with those things. And if we give them too much attention, they distract us from the mission of our lives and God. And so we're wrapping up today with this passage out of Isaiah, chapter 43. We're going to start in verse 16. 
And the context of this new traffic pattern idea is that as we follow God, sometimes we need to be prepared that where we're going will not look anything like where we've been. It might have some shadows of that, and sometimes it may be, there may be actual components that are very similar, like we've talked about with some of the things that are part of the core vision of this church. But the way we get there, the who we get there with, could all be different. And we should not be afraid of that. And in fact, one of the core values of Christ Community Church, and this is especially value, valuable if you've been uh, with us just a short time, one of our core values is change. Um, we, we don't have, as far as I know, Jason could probably school me on this because he'll think of things that I don't think of. We don't have a lot of sacred cows around here. When someone says, well, we've never done it that way, we're like, exactly. Right? Like, yeah. Now, when you come in here on Sunday morning, maybe you're here for the first time and you saw what we did today, have we been doing it like this for a while? We have. If God told us to take a different direction tomorrow, would we? Guess what, friends? We would begin to explore that. And I'm just talking about the form of how we do what we do. And I'm not trying to, I'm not sending up a, a smoke signal here telling you that something's on the horizon. That's, that's not what I'm doing. So don't, if, if you have some church trauma where it's like, oh, I feel like I'm getting set up right now. That's not what's happening. So just, it's okay. It's all right. I'm just saying, we try to be as leaders constantly open to what God is trying to move us towards. And sometimes that is different. And he talks to us about this in his word. And in Isaiah chapter 43, Isaiah is speaking with the voice of God to the people of Israel who are currently in captivity in Babylon. Something that was prophesied many generations before uh, with one of the kings, in fact, because he was such a bad king. God said, you know what's going to happen? Because of you and your sons, the whole nation of Israel is going to end up in captivity to their enemies, and it's going to be that way for a while until I can work out some problems, and then I'm going to bring them back. And so right here, Isaiah is speaking to the nation of Israel, the people of God, about what God's intentions are and who God is. And so underlying all of this, here's the thing I want you to think about in reference to church, and then you have to figure out how to apply it in your own personal life, about things in your own, as we say, your own universe, your own kingdom, the things that you have authority and control over. And it's this, is that very often, my friends, especially in American church, in American religion, we end up with an idea that church should be something that makes us happy. That church should be designed in such a way that I like it. And I'm right there with you. But the reality is that the mission of the church is to speak the gospel to the lost. Does that mean we should throw raves? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just saying. Does that mean that what we're doing right now is not accurate? I don't know. This is where God has us right now. 
But here's what I do know, is that we must adopt a mindset as we, as, and, and this is not, listen, friends, I'm telling you, this is not because I'm trying to set the table for something. I'm just saying this is who we need to be as a people, as a people who follow Christ. We must be open to the leading of God to make us effective ministers and witnesses in our community and in our personal lives. And the greatest threat to that, the greatest enemy to that, is our own pride and desires about what we like versus what may communicate the gospel. And we cannot sacrifice the opportunity to speak the gospel on the altar of what we like. I happen to think that Christ Community Church is a pretty wonderful church. It's a welcoming church. People come, feel like folks are friendly. It's not weird. It's not put on. We're authentic. We make mistakes. Listen, I can't tell you how many mistakes I made this morning. You probably, you heard them, I'm sure. There's no pretense here. And so I think that that makes us a place where if those who don't know Christ come in, they can encounter Christ in that context. But it doesn't mean that we're not open to the possibility that God might change a little bit the way that we do what we do. All right, so here we are in chapter 43 of Isaiah, having said all of that. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior, and they lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Now, what story do you think Isaiah is talking about here? Do you recall? Where do we have a tale where there's water that needs to be crossed, there are chariots in pursuit? Right? So we're going to go. We're going to go look at it. I like this interaction. It was good. Exodus chapter 14. Jason, I don't know if, I don't know if you found that one or not. It's, if you don't want to go with me, it's okay. I can read it. I, I got to it late. Exodus chapter 14. We set the stage, right? We've had all the plagues in Egypt. God keeps saying, let my people go. Moses is there going, hey... God said, finally, Pharaoh relents. This mass exodus happens. Which, by the way, something we've learned in our Old Testament class, do you know why this book is called Exodus? One, because that's what they're doing. But, but, <laughs> in the Hebrew, the first word in the text is Exodus. So, Lamentations is called Lamentations because... The first word in the Hebrew text. It's really, it's brilliant, right? Every book in the Old Testament is named that way. It's weird. I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have come up with a cool, catchy phrase or something. But here we are. They're making this mass exodus from Egypt. Hundreds of thousands of people. And all of their trappings and belongings because they're traveling, right? This isn't just a short trip. That's a whole other rabbit trail that I'm not going to chase. could have been a fairly short trip, but it wasn't. And then they get down to the shore of the Red Sea. Let's, in our minds, let's you and I walk down to Miller's Point. 
Father's Landing in Seward. Who's been there? Anybody been there? Kind of at the end of the road in Seward? All right. Or let's just go down to the small boat harbor here, downtown. We'll stand at the small boat harbor in our mind. Down just past under the Captain Cook, right over there. You can see the other side over there, the cliffs. If we get to that side, we can go down past Commit Goose Bay and down into Wasson and Palmer, right? We go down there, we look across, and guess what? There's no bridge, right? That's a word from God right there, my brother. How are we getting across? You can say, well, there might be a boat there. But just for numbers sake, there's 100,000 of us. And behind us is a giant, this doesn't exist, there's a pack of grizzly bears. And they're hungry. Right? You can see them coming down, down the hill past 4th, 5th Avenue. Dire straits, man, literally. How do we get across there? This is the same thing the Israelites said to Moses. They get out there, they, they're leaving, everybody's like, this is awesome, leaving Egypt, this is great. And they get down there and go, well, this stinks. Moses, what have you done to us? You brought us to this place just so we can die here on the shore of the Red Sea? And Moses kind of steps aside and says, hey, what are we going to do? God says, walk over to the edge of that water. Then you tell him what he's going to do. Here's what I want you to do. Go over there, stand at the edge of the water, and hold it. Okay. Now Moses, of course, has had enough experience with God at this point that he's he's invested. Because he's seen God do some crazy things, including some crazy things with that staff. Because you remember one time in the desert, he threw it on the ground and it turned into a snake. And he picked it up and it turned back into a stick. So Moses doesn't have a problem with this with this command from God. Can you imagine the people around Moses? They're already upset. They're scared. They're frightened. They're terrified. And they should be, right? I would be. If I'm not Moses, if I haven't seen everything that God has done, then I have a different perspective. And we go down here, and we're standing at the shore at the small boat harbor, and the bears are coming and I say to you, you know, it's going to be fine. God has just told me to walk over here and, and, you know, hold my arm up in the air, and it's going to be good. And maybe that's because if I have my arm up in the air, they'll see me first, and you can all escape. You know how it is with, with bears, right? You know what the rule is. You don't have to be the fastest runner. You know, you just, you just got to make sure somebody else doesn't run as fast as you. Right? But here they are, and this is what happens. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. 
the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, and not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and to their left. And thus... The Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Now, why do we go back to this passage? One, because this is exactly what Isaiah is talking about. He's telling the people, listen, it's been a tough time. We've been going through a hard time, but God is going to lead us through. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to make sense. He might take us to places where we get to the edge and we go, what? This doesn't. What are you doing, God? And while this passage calls the Israelites, to, the Israelites to remember a specific time, the principle that we have here tells us about the character and nature of God towards the people that he loves. Jesus said it in his words that he would never leave us nor forsake us. One of the, one of the writers said, I have never seen the disciples of the Lord forsaken. Neither of those, as I've said many, many times, promises that it's going to be a good time. It just means that it won't be an alone time. And that on the other side, however, is where victory is. So what did he say in Isaiah? Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea. That language there isn't just a remembrance of something that happened. It's a description of who God is. You see what it says there? Who is he? He is a God who makes a way in the sea. A path in the mighty waters who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior, and they lie down and cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Now, there seems to be a conflict here in these next verses because he's just said, hey, do you remember this? And then he goes, don't remember of it, the old things. Right? So, what? We're remembering, but we're not remembering? But it's important how he puts this. Verse 18, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of the old. And what he's saying is, the way that language is constructed there in the Hebrew is he's saying, don't camp out there. Don't get stuck in what used to be. Understand that what God has done in the past is a, is, a, is a pattern, is a template, is a clue about who he is for your future. 
So when you find yourself in another time that's difficult, when you find yourself as a church, when you find yourself as a person, as an individual, standing at the, the shore of some sea, some obstacle, some raging water, he called it, that, that threatens to swallow you, and the enemy is pursuing you, remember what God has done, but don't languish and despair because of the circumstance you're in. It's the difference between saying, I know what God can do, and saying, well, I don't know where God is right now, but man, I remember that thing he did before. Wish it was like that. Wish he'd show up now. One speaks from a place of faith, and one speaks from a place of disbelief, really. And friends, I find myself in this little headspace more often than I would like to. I've told probably some people in this room in the last several weeks as God has begun to open opportunities and, and we see him moving in ways as a church. I, I don't know why I'm still surprised. I don't know why when something that, that is frankly miraculous happens and we even prayed for them and then we go, wow, look at that. Because there's a measure of disbelief in that. I don't want to be arrogant and just assume, you know, we had the video during the prayer series about God not being a cosmic vending machine, right? He's, he's not just a, you know, plug in your prayers and get what you want. But there's still sometimes a struggle when I'm facing that, that trial, that difficulty, that stumbling block, that roadblock, whatever it is, of forgetting the, the things that God has done before. And using that as the foundation for believing in what he can do now. And this is what Isaiah is, is trying to call the people to. Get excited about who God is. Think about what he did before and now set your mind. Don't, don't live in the past. Set your mind to the future and what God can do now. Verse 19, he says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now I want to point out to you the contrast of these two, these two things that just bookended these statements. What was the obstacle at the beginning of this text? Right? Ocean. Water. Now we're suddenly in the desert. What did God do with the water? He made what kind of land? Dry land. And now we're in the wilderness. And what is lacking in the wilderness? What is lacking in the desert? And what will he bring? He speaks it this way because he wants to leave no doubt that it doesn't matter which end of the spectrum your problem is on. And anywhere in between, God is able, God is willing, God will show his presence, his power in your life 
the timing sometimes is not like we would like. The timing sometimes isn't, uh, what's that old saying, God's never late, he's never early, he's always on time, which is really frustrating sometimes. Because I have timelines in my head, I have desires of when I would like to be over something, but I have to trust him. And what I can trust in is that whether whether you and I individually or whether you and I as a church need dry land in front of us or rivers of water in front of us, God says, I can provide that. Wherever you are, I can provide what you need. And he goes on to say, the wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I form for myself. And then here's the big finish, that they might declare my praise. I don't want you to miss that. And don't, and don't check out because Isaiah is talking specifically to the Israelites, right? God's chosen people. Because you know what Jesus taught us in the New Testament, right? And then, and then God revealed that even further through Peter and through Paul, one sent to speak the gospel to the Jews and one spent, sent to speak the gospel to the Gentiles, right? Because the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is for everyone. No one is left out of that. And what the Bible teaches us is that, yes, here is, here is this nation that God set aside primarily to just show that there was something different to be a witness to the rest of the world. And that we, when we come along as Christians and follow Christ, we are grafted into that family. That language in the New Testament is adopted as children. And in the Roman culture, adoption was, was in some ways a higher threshold than being a natural born. For instance, you could disown your natural born children. You could not legally disown your adopted children. Because you picked them. And they deserved to be valued, even if you decided you were going to be a jerk after the fact. That's the picture of how God brings us into this family. So these words are for us, my friends. He brings water to the desert, to the, to the unfruitful places, to, to give us to drink. He, he brings that presence into our difficult places. But for this purpose, that my people will declare my praise, he says. I think I'm just going to leave that there. That phrase, that, that word, that language. God shows up in our lives. And the, the natural, the purposeful response should be that in our lives we praise Him.
And what I would like is, is I'm going to ask him if he would come down here. And if in your mind, this is not, this is not a litmus test. This is not, are you a member of Christ Community Church? This is not a, a line in the stand, and I'm asking you to cross it. This is a, if in your mind you are a part of this community, I would like you to come and pray over him because this is what the church does. This is not Tracy going out to, to investigate a thing Tracy's doing. This is Tracy being sent out on our behalf. We are asking Tracy to go out and find out if what God is doing here and what God is doing there, if that's something God will bless, God will work through. And so I'm just going to ask him to come down to the floor, and I'm going to ask you if, if, if this is your church, if this is your pastor, I'm just going to ask you to come down and pray over him because it's incumbent on us in this moment. Look, we see signs that God's at work. We see indications of, of directions God might be leading us. When these things come to fruition, you may decide, you know what, this is not something I want to be part of. This is not something I feel like, like I have something to contribute to. But here, right now, in this moment, it's incumbent on us to pray. Because that is what the church does. And that is how, if, if nothing else comes to fruition for you, this is your responsibility right now in this moment. This is my responsibility to pray over the work of God and the man we are sending out on our behalf. So I am having anxiety over communicating what's supposed to be communicated because neither one of us have a script we're working from, which honestly is usually, that's my sweet spot, frankly. Um, like I don't have notes when I preach. You may notice that because maybe it's a bunch of rabbit trails. I don't know. You'd have to give me feedback on that. But I, I can't plan it out because it sucks all the life out of me. And so in my head, I'm like, oh, I should get some video. I should take some pictures. I'll put that blah, 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 blah. And I'm just kind of around in my head. And the reality is they have communicated. We just want to meet and have people meet you and, some, and see what God wants to do. So I need some help. I'm standing a little bit of a shore of some rough water right here. I'm going, I don't know how I get over this. And I need to listen to the... I tell you, I'm talking to me as much as I'm talking to anybody else. He will make a way. And I need to stop obsessing about how he's going to do that. I just want to do that. Right? So that's, what, that's what's on me right now. Clearly, I'm not. Alright. Not a line in the sand. Just if you feel led in the moment, come now. Um... I'm going to read some scripture, and then, and then our elder, Jim Snotterly, is going to pray.
from Acts chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Heavenly Father, we ask that you look down on our pastor, our friend, our brother, Tracy, that you gave off in the unknown in some ways, but you know the opportunities that are going to be presented to him. You know the, the things that, the doors that might be open to him. Lord, we ask that you give Tracy wisdom, which he has so much, but even more. We ask that you give him discernment, which he has so much, but even more. And we ask that you bring him back to us safely and with these opportunities that are presented to him to be able to present the church with choices that we can help make. But in all things, we realize your presence is there, your kindness is there, your wisdom is there looking over us. Don't make us nervous. Don't make us afraid. Make us sure that whatever happens, it'll be all right. You'll be with us in all things. In Jesus' name we pray.
right, a couple of things to remind you of before you head out the door. Next Sunday, next Sunday, right here, church, we're going to have worship. A very brief message pointing us towards our activity next week. Um, we'll have potluck lunch, so bring some food, bring some extra. Let's have a great meal together. And then we're going to spend time putting together homeless care kits right here, packing all the stuff in the bags, getting them ready. Jim, I think you said you're shooting for about 100. It'll be very close to 100 bags. You can bring still uh, soft snacks, uh, you know, non-perishable things, things that don't need to be uh, refrigerated, stuff like that, snack packs with, you know, jello, pudding, uh, soft cereal bars, uh, you know, cheese and crackers, stuff like that. Bring some of those that we can throw in there as well, and we'll just have a great time. Also joining us next week is a guy named Dave Halleck. He's the North American Mission Board's uh, Mountain West, Pacific Northwest uh, Director Revitalization and a great friend and a great guy. Uh, I want you to meet him. He wants to meet Christ be able to jerk together one of those things. He doesn't want to meet your church. He'd rather take his knees. He wants to meet us. So here we are. And uh, it'll be a great time. And then March 11th, Saturday, March 11th, 9 a.m., men's breakfast right here. Uh, and then noon, ladies' luncheon, potato luncheon. And there is a sign up sheet for the potato lunch. I believe they'll have a potato back on the Connect Center. So if you can come to that, that would be great. All right? Anything I'm missing, Jay? Amen. So mote it be. All right. Have a great week, my friends. I love you. Be, be safe out there.